I want to preach from um, uh, what would be considered an obscure passage. Of course, 1 Corinthians, Paul wrote uh, to the church at Corinth to solve a lot of problems. Corinth was a very carnal church. I mean, they had all kind of fleshly issues in the church. They had all kind of confusion in the church. Uh, what Paul wasn't writing to correct their carnality, he was writing to correct their confusion. And uh, he's coming now to the end of the book, of course. And in the first four verses, he dealt with collecting an, an offering from the church to help the poor saints in Jerusalem. Uh, you got to understand when, when a Jew got saved, uh, their family held a funeral. Uh, they usually lost their jobs. Uh, they were kicked out of the society, so to speak. And uh, so most of them needed some financial help. If you go back over in chapter 2 of Acts and chapter 4 of Acts, you'll find that the early Christians, many of them sold things that they had in order to help maintain life for the others. And uh, Paul knew that need, and he tried to take an offering, and that's the first four verses. But th tonight I want to look at verse 5 through verse number 9 and look at some simple principles here that I think would be good for all of us. Verse number five, it says, Now I will come unto you when I shall pass through Macedonia, for I do pass through Macedonia. And it may be that I will abide, yea, and winter with you, that ye may bring me on my journey whithersoever I go. For I will not see you now, by the way, but I trust to tarry a while with you, if the Lord permit. But I will tarry at Ephesus unto Pentecost, for a great door and effectual is opened unto me, and there are many adversaries. First thing I want you to see in this Paul's coming to Corinth is the planning of Paul. You know, a lot of times we don't stop and think that, you know, the apostles uh, had, to, had to make a decision about what, where they were going and how they were going, just like we have to make decisions about things that we do. And here Paul did some planning. Now, he pro in verse number five, he promises to visit them. He says, I will come unto you. Now, <clears throat> That's a pretty bold statement. You know, today, when we make a statement, Paul is, and the New Testament is taught, we, or James said, if the Lord will. Because we don't have the power to tell somebody, well, I'm going to come see you and guarantee that nothing's going to prevent me from doing that. Uh, even the Apostle Paul, go back with me to Acts chapter 16. I want you to see something here real quick. Even Paul, from time to time, uh, were, he was going to do something, and God wouldn't let him. His planning was not exactly what God wanted. In Acts chapter 16, verse 6 says, Now when they had gone throughout Fiji and the region of Galatia, and notice what it says, and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia. After they came to Mysia, they essayed to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. Two times in those verses, it tells us that the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, forbid Paul to preach, and to go somewhere. Now, I heard a preacher say this years ago, you, you can't take the gospel to the wrong address. Well, obviously, in this verse, Paul was attempting to take the gospel somewhere, and the Holy Spirit said no. Now, why in the world would that be? And I think it would be because the, the Holy Spirit knows that the gospel is going to be more effective some places than others, and he wants you in the most effective place, but anyway, he had to redirect Paul. And, of course, we know the rest of this passage. You can go back to 1 Corinthians. The rest of the passage, of course, he received the vision there about the Macedonian saying, come over and help us. And it said as soon as he received that, 
they endeavored to go into Macedonia and preach the word of God. Here in 1 Corinthians, Paul's promising, I'm going to come visit you. And I, he said, I'll come when I pass through Macedonia. And Macedonia was the northern province of, of what we call Greece today. Uh, Greece was made up of two states or provinces, northern Macedonia, the southern one is Achaia. And as he went over into Macedonia, then he would have taken either a ship or a land route down to the southern part where Greece was at. But he's going to pass through. Why? He is preaching the word of God, and he's also collecting an offering to take to the saints at Jerusalem. But he's making this approval. Now, he's having to make a decision what to do. I want to give us, real quick, nine things. And you don't have to. I'm going to be quick. But nine things that will help you when it comes to making a decision. How to plan. Now, I'm thankful that God doesn't expect me to make an in-depth decision on everything I do. I mean, when I get up in the morning, I don't think the Lord, it bothers the Lord if I eat at 6 o'clock, 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock, or 9 o'clock. I don't think it makes so much trouble when I brush my teeth that morning. There's just a lot of things I don't have to make a decision on. But when it comes to major things in life, you need to know how to make a decision. The first thing that all of us should do when making any decision is apply the principles of Scripture. What does this book say? You know, after all, this book, all of this book is inspired, right? It's given by inspiration of God and is profitable. In other words, it's useful. It's for your advantage. It's for my advantage, for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So, uh, any decision we make, the principles of this book should be applied. The second thing should be the answers to prayer. Notice I did not say just the praying because I've had people tell me, well, Pastor, I'm going to go do this or I'm going to go do that. And I look at them and say, have you prayed about it? Oh, yeah, I've prayed about it. I've stopped asking that question. The question that I now ask is this, have you got any answers to your prayers? Because people do things all the time just because they're praying about it. You better wait and get answers to your prayers before you do anything. The third thing is what I call the attentiveness to the Holy Spirit of God. Now, we saw there in Acts 16 that the Spirit of God forbid Paul uh, two things. Well, if the Spirit of God can forbid us to do things, the Spirit of God can permit us to do things and can give us the clear direction in life about that. So what is your attentiveness to the Spirit of God? And by the way, you can't be attentive to the Spirit of God without being attentive to this book. If you say, well, I'm, a, I'm, in, I'm in tune with the Spirit of God, but if you're not obeying this book, you're not in tune with the Spirit of God because being full of the Spirit is the same as being full of this book. But the attentiveness to the Spirit of God, how He is directing and working. Then a fourth area, the advice from spiritual people. Now, I, I understand this. Your pastor does not want you asking him a question about everything. But when it comes to making major decisions, it's wise to get advice from spiritual people. Now, I know there are more spiritual people here than your pastor. But seek out a spiritual person, not a carnal person. Don't get advice for life-changing or life-directional decisions from carnal people. You're going to get the wrong advice. But get advice from spiritual people, people that have lived this book and are living this book, get their advice on what you're getting ready to do. Another thing that you should consider in making any type of decision is the amount of glory that God gets. 
from the decision that you make, who will get the glory? Will you get the attention? Will other people get the attention? Or will God get the attention? The glory from what is done. Another thought. The effect on others, believers and lost people. Your decision is going to affect people. You're ne you never get to live um, in a monastery. You never get to live in your own little cave. You always are going to be rubbing shoulders with other people. So how is the decision that you're going to make, the plan that you're wanting to do, how is it going to affect other people? Is it going to encourage them in the Lord? Is it going to discourage them in the Lord? I've heard people say, well, I don't care how, it's my decision. I don't care what other people think. Uh, I guarantee you, if you ever make that statement, you're getting ready to do something wrong because you don't care about other people. You're just worried about yourself. And of course, the book of James tells us that uh, when we have that type of uh, attitude, we're going to pray amiss. And if we pray amiss, uh, we're not going to be getting much answers from the Lord. So we, uh, the principle is the effect on others uh, if they're believers or lost. But then here's another one. If you are married, the agreement with your mate, the agreement with your mate. I've learned this by experience. The time that I have made decisions and my wife was totally against it and I've made some crazy statement, well, you know, I'll make the decision. I'm, I'm the leader of the home. I, I, it's been a mess up every time. You just don't, as a husband, you just don't make a decision uh, without an agreement from your wife. Now, she, she, might not, she might not like it, but if we're leading our wives right, they will at least give us a statement of agreement. But every time, if they're in disagreement, I promise you, if, as a husband, if you bullhead straight forward and do what you, you're, it's going to be a problem. It's not going to be what, that which is going to be pleasing like you should. But here's, here's one more. Well, I have two more. One more. Now, the attitude of your heart at the time. Now, what I'm trying to say there, does, is your heart at peace? Is your heart at peace? Now, you, you know the difference between your self-manufactured peace because you want to do something so bad so you've explained everything in your mind and you've given yourself your own peace. No, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the deep, settled peace that God gives that only God can give and then one more and I'll move on in my message but the approval of authorities now I understand you say well Pastor Camp, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a free individual I don't have authority young people have children you know Western Lars kids they have an authority it's called parents and uh, little do you realize you have authority in your life you know my mom is still alive she's 93 and I I would still run things by my mom my dad's been gone 18 years and I still think from time to time when I'm making a decision I wonder what dad would say about this uh, yeah I'm a grown man I'm 60 almost 68 years of age but I would still run things by my parents if I were a church member and and I had a pastor before I made a decision I'd run that decision by my pastor why I consider I would consider my pastor an authority in my life and I'd want his input did he think now you say well you've already considered him as a spiritual person getting advice but yes he's more than that and I would want his input from authority not just from a spiritual standpoint 
So I've given you nine simple, quick principles to be put into your life to help make your decision, a plan uh, for your life a whole lot easier. And I promise you, if you'll go through those, uh, when it comes time for you to make a decision, your decision, you'll make it with a whole lot more confidence and you will make it with a whole lot more peace of mind. And I promise you in the long run, you'll find out that your decisions are, are a whole lot more God-pleasing. But we come back to this passage of Scripture here, and we see that Paul puts forth not only his promised vision, a visit, but he, he points out to them there's some provisions that I'm going to need, verse number 6. And it may be that I will abide. Now notice how Paul says it may be. I learned when my children were young, if I made that type of statement, well, maybe Friday night we'll, we'll go get a pizza. Well, my girls, when they were little, I learned real quick that if I said maybe, that meant I'd said we're going to. So I, I had to learn not to say that. And not only did my girls, my, my wife was the same way. It was no maybe. If I said maybe, I was, I was supposed to do it. But here Paul gives a maybe. Why? Because Paul had already learned that he had attempted to do some stuff, and the, and the Lord had forbid him, had changed his plan. Matter of fact, more than one time, Paul's plans were changed by opposition. Going through the book of Acts, he'd be in a certain place preaching, and he was planning to do something else, and all of a sudden, because of the opposition, he decided to go the other direction. He was going to get on a ship in Corinth and head to Syria, but he found out about a plan of a bunch of Jews going to try to kill him. So he instead went back through Macedonia. And I understand the best plans that we make sometimes, we get diverted. Now, does that mean that the plan we originally made to go was wrong? No. You might want you to go from point A to point B, and then at point B, you get directed to point F instead of C, D, and E. But that doesn't mean from point A to B was wrong. God just looks at things a whole lot different than we do sometimes. And here he said, maybe. But he... He said, maybe I will abide, yea, in winter. Now, he said, I may winter with you, and we find out from other places that he ended up staying three months there, so that was about a winter period. But back over in Corinthians, we find out that Paul had not taken money from the Corinth church, like the church at Philippi had supported him financially. He wouldn't take anything. He said, I didn't want to be accused of doing anything for money, so he refused it. But now here, he's saying, I'm going to come and stay with you for winter. And he says, that you may bring me on my journey whithersoever I go. Now, that's an interesting term. I want you to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Just over to your right a few pages. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and notice verse number 16. He said it. And to pass by you into Macedonia, and to come again out of Macedonia unto you, and of you to be brought on my way. Now, that little phrase right there, to be brought on my way, is used about seven times in Scripture. Here's the second place. Acts 15.3 is another. Acts 21.5 is another. Romans 15.24 is another. 3 John 6. Uh, look at 3 John. To give you another illustration from another writer, this time the Apostle John. But in the book of 3 John, we find this same type of terminology used in verse number 6. It says, Which have borne witness of thy charity before the church, whom if thou bring forward on their journey. 
There's that same type of phrase from the same Greek word. And back in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, we see this same term used another way. 1 Corinthians 16 and verse number 11 says, Let no man therefore despise him, but conduct him forth. That's a translation of the same Greek word that's translated these other places, bring forth on the journey. Now, that, that word carried this idea <coughs> to provide food, to provide finances, to provide company. Many times you'll find in Paul's life when he went places, he did not go by himself. Churches would send different people with Paul to accompany him, to help him, uh, to provide things for him. And this is the idea here. Now, the assistance that he needs, he not only needed accommodations for winter, but he needed assistance for his journey. You know, when Paul went on his three missionary journeys in the book of Acts, he was gone certain lengths of times. You ever stop to wonder why you only went so far and then turned around and came back? Maybe it was because he went as far as he half of his money and he knew that the other half was going to need to get him back home. But they provided things that he needed. Now, that's one thing I really like about this church. This church provides and helps when missionaries and preachers, you know, come through, y'all help take care of it. That's a biblical principle that's right here in this passage of Scripture, the assistance that Paul needed, and this church was going to help provide. But then notice verse number 7. We see not only the planning of Paul here in verse 5 and 6, but in verse number 7 we see what I call the providence of God. For I will not see you now by the way. Now, in this providence, in that verse, it, it sounds a little strange, but the first thing you see is the length of his stay here in verse number, I will not see you now by the way. And literally that means, as I pass by, I'm not going to waste my time to come see you. In other words, he's saying, there's not enough time for me to do what I need to do as I pass by. But come back to verse, he said, but I trust to tarry a while with you if the Lord permit. Now notice, he's used these terminology. Maybe, now he's talking about the Lord permitting. <clears throat> and uh, we need to have that same attitude. Again, what the Lord permits. Not us bull-headed strong and push through. You know, many times the Lord will let us bullhead ahead and do something in order to teach us, hey, you need to consider me. Uh, I, I do have a all-knowing position here. I can see the end from the beginning. I, I know the best things here, and you don't. And sometimes God will let us learn the hard lesson because we won't stop and get his direction to start with. <coughs> but again, verse number seven, <coughs> if the Lord permit. The Lord's permission. Now, the word permit means to allow. It means to sit out in order. It means to give liberty. And it's translated that way in Acts 27. It's translated to give license in Acts 21. It's translated to give leave in Mark chapter number 5. In other words, the Lord gives freedom to move forward and to do exactly what he wants to do. And here, again, I point out 
that in Act, uh, Acts 20, Paul ends up staying there three months. <clears throat> it wasn't just to winter. Because in the three months that he was there, he preached the word of God. He ministered in the church there at Corinth that he ministered in on a regular, you know, a number of years. He ended up preaching and teaching in the church at Corinth to start with. But we see the providence of God and what God allows and what God permits. But then there's something else here in verse number 8 and 9. <clears throat> Not only the planning of Paul and the providence of God, but the proving of God's permission. Verse number 8. I will tarry at Ephesus unto Pentecost. Now, it's one thing to make that statement. It's another thing to prove what God wants. The key to this is the willingness to move forward for God. I've known a lot of people <clears throat> that were so fearful of doing anything, they, they, they wouldn't improve what they thought that God wanted them to do. I've seen some people tie the hands of God by, well, I'm praying for this, Brother Kemp, and if God doesn't answer it, I'm not going to do anything. Not going to do anything? I've talked to many, many young men that said they were headed to the mission field. Thank you. But unless, and they had put stipulation, unless he answers this prayer, I'm not going. And they'd, Instead of being willing to go and letting God provide, they wanted God to provide everything before they went. You don't have to know everything about where you're going. And Paul here is saying, I'm willing to go. But he's saying it to start with, I'm going to remain. I'm going to remain here at Ephesus until Pentecost. I think we all should always remain until God is finished. I've seen, uh, let me apply this this way. I've applied it to preachers. I've seen preachers leave churches. To, you know the average preacher's stay now is 18 months. Isn't it nice to have a pastor that's been somewhere 25? Uh, 18 months, they run against a little opposition. They up and run. They leave, go somewhere else where the grass, they think the grass is greener. No, remain until God finishes, well, until God moves you. But notice verse number 9. He says, for a great door and effectual is open unto me. Not only should we remain where we're at as a pastor, but church members too. I started pastoring my first church in 1985, the end of 80, no, excuse me, spring of 86. And uh, I've had many church members come through my churches. Some of them leave for the strangest of reasons. They, they'll go from one church on one side of town to the other side, then they'll go to the west side and then back to the east side, and the next thing you know, you meet somebody and, and uh, talk to somebody, and in five years they've been in four, five, six different churches. No, stay, stay. Stay where you're being fed. Stay where God's word is honored. Stay where, you know, uh, where you can learn and where you can serve remain until God is finished with you there but realize an open door as well verse number nine it says again for a great door and effectual now that's something for Paul to describe this door for him in that way in Ephesus 
Now, we could go back to the book of Acts and find out in Ephesus, Paul ended up ministering for a total of three years in Ephesus, longer than he ministered anywhere else. Paul was always going and, and staying and, and leaving. And, of course, as an apostle, he was a church-planting apostle. He'd go into an area. He'd preach, see people saved. He'd plant a church. He'd stay until God would move him or the opposition would move him, and he'd go and do the same thing again other places. But here he realized an open door. He says it's effectual. Interesting word. It means to be effective. It means to be productive. It's translated powerful in Hebrews chapter number 4 and verse number 12, describing the word of God. But if I took this word that's translated effectual and looked at it in the Greek language, here's the, Eng uh, here's the Greek word, and you'll hear the English word, energize. That's the, that's the Greek word. It's the English word energy, of course. Paul says, I have an effectual door that's open to me. In other words, he saw in that place of ministry something that was going to be productive. Now, I've been here. How many times have I been at this church? Don't know. But I know 2002, I was here and preached a week of revival over in the other building. First time I saw Todd, because you, you hadn't been there but just a little while at that time, right, Todd? 2002. But would you have visualized a church like this then in Fort Morgan? By the way, Fort Morgan's changed a lot in 20 years. I remember when I was here in 2002, half the stuff up this road wasn't there. But this has been an effectual door. It's effective. People are being saved. You're, you're baptizing 40-something uh, next week. It's always exciting. I got to baptize five a couple weeks ago at my church. It's, a, it's exciting to see baptisms. It's exciting to see growth. It is an effectual. It is a productive. It is an active ministry. And Paul, it's a good thing to realize an open door. I've seen people just sit there and, and do nothing because they couldn't realize an open door. No, what that is is a lack of faith. Faith will cause you to see the door and go toward the door. But there's another part. That's what he says. And there are many adversaries. Recognize your adversaries. If you are preaching the word of God, this church does, there's always going to be enemies. There's always going to be complainers. That's a part of preaching the word of God and a church standing where it should stand. You're going to, you church members, you're going to find out through this community, people are going to say, talk to you, and they say, oh, you go over there, that Platte Valley, and they're going to say something negative. Why are they going to say that? The devil wants to discourage you. If the devil can discourage you, then you will discourage somebody else. And discouraged people are not faithful people. We all have the promises of this book. We all know that we live in a world that hates the gospel. By the way, you live in a body that hates the gospel. You have to tell this body no on a regular basis. And you're going to have to tell discouraging people, no, I have the promises of God. 
and keep encouraging one another and encourage your pastor for this work to be able to continue going forth and realize the open door that you have. That's what Paul was doing here and saying to this church at Corinth. This church at Corinth that I mentioned was so carnal and so confused, it didn't take much to discourage them. The more spiritual you are, can I say this again? The more spiritual you are, the less you'll be discouraged. You say, well, define being spiritual. Being in this book on a regular basis, praying on a regular basis. When I say regular, I mean daily. Be faithful in God's house. And those three simple, simplistic things equals obedience. And obedience equals spirituality. You'll be less discouraged if you're that. You will realize the open door that's before you. And what I mean by that, every single person in this room this week will probably have an opportunity to give someone the gospel somehow with a tract or with a word. You'll have an opportunity to encourage someone this week with a simple word or a hand on their shoulder or I'm praying for you something. You have an opportunity to, that's an open door for you to be a blessing and help. That down the road, when someone else has a hard day, they may remember the words of encouragement that you give. That's your effectual door that God has given you. But if you're discouraged, you won't see it. You won't take it. So prove what I'm trying to say. Move forward for God. Prove what God is doing in your life by trusting him and move forward. Don't, just don't sit there, well, I'm just going to wait. No, no. Move forward. Serve God. See that open door. But realize that there's going to be some adversary that's going to try to discourage you. It's going to try to get you to stop. And your number one one will be your own stinking, rotten flesh. Lord, we thank you tonight for the simplistic thoughts from Paul. That Paul had to rely upon you. He had to allow you to permit, allow you to direct in everything that he did. And we're no different. So, Lord, help us to honor you but help us to move forward for your glory in Jesus' name.